With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Donate? What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden, and today we're doing a podcast or something along those lines. We've got some second-round playoff action to talk about with you guys and also preview. As of the time of this recording, we've seen Game 1 of Bucks, Celtics, and Warriors, Grizzlies. We have not seen Game 1 of the other two series, so we'll touch on all of that, our expectations, our reactions to what we have seen and whatnot. And we'll start with the first game of the second round that we saw, which was Bucks-Celtics. Bucks go out, pick up a big win on the road, obviously without Chris Middleton, who's out for this entire series. We both picked the Celtics beforehand. So, Logan, given this result, what are your thoughts? What are your takeaways? Uh, I'm not going to overreact crazily to this game. Um, but, I mean, this is like one of the worst games that I've seen Boston play in a, in a really long time. I mean... Uh, you can start with the turnovers in that point. I mean, I think it's what really lost Boston this game. Obviously, 18 turnovers and 25 points off of those turnovers. Mm-hmm. Like, Milwaukee didn't really do anything exceptional. Um, they had 2.33 points per transition play uh, off steals. That's credit to Jason Temp of the volume. Uh, great content. You guys should check him out. He's on Hoops Tonight, actually, with Carson. Uh, they'll yeah. be doing that throughout the playoffs. Great uh, basketball mind. That's where I get that number from. That's from Cleaning the Glass. Uh, Milwaukee did not play great in transition. They didn't play great in the half court. Uh, they got out on the break off of turnovers and scored. Like, Boston could not hit a shot. They shot 8 of 22 on wide-open threes. And uh, the Celtics and Tatum uh, kept trying to get downhill and go to the rim, and uh, Giannis and Lopez just held it down, dude. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boston shot 3 of 20 um, on game one uh, on shots contested by Giannis and Brooke Lopez, 1 of 15 on two-pointers inside the arc. Boston shoot 6 of 19 inside the arc in the first half, and Milwaukee played 52 minutes of their big men in the first half. Like, it was just... Boston kept trying to get downhill, and they couldn't do anything about it. And it, it just... Like, Boston's offense just really looked out of rhythm. Like, they were they would pass up on open threes because they were missing those open opportunities for one of those contested twos that just never fell. And, uh, I mean, they made 10 two-pointers in Game 1, uh, second-fewest in any playoff game all time. Uh... 2017 Rockets versus the Spurs when they made nine. Like, it was literally just a, it was a historic loss. And uh, we talked, I, I thought this was really telling. Um, 
Carson, the Bucks' defense this season, including the playoffs, we wondered why the Bucks had such a precipitous fall-off in the second half of the season, why their defense looked so poorly. Mm-hmm. With Brooke Lopez, they have a defensive rating of 106.8. Without him, they have a defensive rating of 112.5. Like, he's a massive difference maker in this defense, uh, whether just playing, you know, drop coverage or whatever. They're great at that. It's what the Bucks want you to do. They play into your hands, and the Celtics kind of played into their hands. They're known for giving up a lot of open threes, and Boston didn't just hit them. But uh, I'm not going to write off Boston just after this one game, Carson. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, like I said, I thought this was the worst game that I've seen out of Boston in a really long time. They weren't hitting open shots. They were turning the ball over crazily. They played right into Milwaukee's hands. Like, I really don't think that... And again, the biggest thing about this is Boston was in this game for most of it. Like, this wasn't a blowout game. Boston was in it into the fourth quarter. Like, even with all of these competing factors. So I think... I think this is still going to be a really good series that goes six or seven because Middleton isn't out here. I think Boston's going to make some adjustments. I think Udoka is going to get this team fired up, and I think they're going to shoot better. Like I just thought mm-hmm. that this this game went wrong any way it could have gone wrong for Boston. Uh, another little number here: uh, Milwaukee players shot 0 of 11 uh, when they were defended by Robert Williams. Carson. Wow. That, uh, I think Giannis went 0 of 5 on him. Like. Um, I trust Boston's defense. I trust them to make shots in this second game, and I trust them to make adjustments and not play into their hands. I think it's going to require them to, again, shoot well. I think it's going to require Tatum and Brown to really be killers out of the mid-range. They're not going to be able to get downhill and go to the rack like they like to. Um, but yeah, like I think I think this is going to be a really good series. I'm not going to overreact, overreact to a 12-point loss. I just thought where anything could go wrong in this game, it did go wrong for Boston. I don't expect that to happen again. Yeah, I think that also... There's been a lot of overreaction to this game, and I would not change my pick in terms of who I had coming out, and that was the Celtics. And I picked them in six. I said I would have put the game over under at five and a half. That's probably going to end up being low, given that Milwaukee took game one on the road. But I do have still a great deal of skepticism about their ability to execute at this level and come out on top without Middleton out there. And I think you touched on a lot of good stuff. At the end of the day, yeah, I mean... The Celtics obviously, to an extent, just took what that Bucks defense gives them. I know you talk about them trying mm-hmm. to force the issue in other spots, but at the end of the day, 50 of their 84 field goal attempts were threes, mm-hmm. and that is like what the Bucks defense is designed to do. But I just don't really think that's a problem. You know, a few more of those good looks fall, and you actually do create quality opportunities inside the arc. I mean, it was a, like you said, historically bad performance from two by the Celtics. So... I just think you look up and down and it's like you get a brutal shooting day from Tatum, who's 6 of 18, from Marcus Smart, who's 3 of 11, from Jalen, who's 4 of 13. And I just don't think that that's really going to be sustained. I do think that this Bucks defense is very good. I think it's better than the regular season numbers would have indicated. I think as we anticipated, they were going to kick into another gear in that respect. But also, like, I wouldn't look at this and just say man, the Celtics are done for offensively because of it. And also, I will say, although Giannis didn't have an exceptional shooting day at all, 9 of 25, he was asked to carry a massive load as a playmaker. And I thought he was really, really good in that role with the 12 assists. But I do think that speaks to the fact that it's like, okay, we are really relying on him for creation now. I mean, just between him and Drew Holiday, those guys accounted for half of the Bucks' shots they counted for 17 of their 22 assists. And so it's just like, that's a really big 
burden on all of them. And if you look at everybody else, it's pretty much just catch and shoot threes. Like the rest of the team, damn near, is putting up catch and shoot threes. Like, let me see if yeah. I can do some quick math. So, yeah, 38 twos attempted by Giannis and Drew Holiday, 18 twos attempted by the rest of the team, seven threes attempted by those two, 27 threes attempted by the rest of the team. So it's just like, that's a huge burden of offensive creation on those two. And the Celtics had a rough day offensively, obviously, but it just feels like there's more balance and there's more options there. And we've seen it work so well for so long at this point that I don't really want to overreact to an off day, a sloppy day, um, you know, not an exceptional shooting night, all these different things where obviously when they come together, it leads to you losing an individual game, but I don't think it necessarily projects for an entire series. No, I completely agree. And I mean, I think another aspect of this too, I thought Drew Holiday had a really good game. Um, I, and I just, not to bash, I mean, he goes for 25, 9, and 5, pretty uh, efficient shooting, 3 of 5 from behind the arc. I don't know if we can expect this kind of offensive production out of Drew. Like, this is another big, you know, talk about a big burden offensively. Without Middleton, like, uh, the Bucks needed uh, Holiday to show up. Not in this way, because their defense just played well, but mm-hmm. I don't know if we can also count on, rely on Drew throughout this entire series to perform like he did. Like, I just thought it was kind of, like I said, just all these bad factors coming together, and I just don't, I don't know how people can watch these last two months of Boston, you know, yeah. after the All-Star break. I don't know how you can watch them in this first round and expect this to continue. This is uncharacteristic of Boston, just completely uncharacteristic. And I think if there's a guy that I want that's left in the playoffs to attack a defense like this, mm-hmm. I need a killer out of the mid-range. I need a guy who's going to be able to take what the Bucks defense gives them, which is deep twos, there's not many guys left in the playoffs that I'm taking over Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Tatum is a guy who can attack this defense and win. And I think the Celtics, like I said, are going to get into the film room. I think Udoka is going to get this team fired up. They're great at making adjustments. Like, I just think it gets better from here on out. I think that they knock down more of their shots in this next game. I think Tatum is, again, Tatum's the guy that I want. Like, yeah. I, is there anybody that you would take over him, like, offensively, like, outside of, like, a Steph, maybe a D-book? Like, I... I think in this matchup, I think Tatum is the guy that I would want most in these playoffs to attack this defense. And I mean that. Out of anybody left in these playoffs. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think there's probably an argument for Steph. And I will say, I mean, the Bucks are applying, like, really impressive pressure. So, as good as Tatum's handle is for his size and whatnot, it's like there are times where they are, you know, pressing him pretty early up on the court. And it's just like he's not necessarily going to be able to super easily explode by or control that handle in traffic. And sometimes you can put, you know, a Drew Holiday on him or whatnot, and he's not going to, like, just expose that matchup. So, I don't know. There may be a guy or two, but I agree. It's like a lot of this is going to come down to perimeter shot making. Like, that's going to be huge because this was a really, really stellar defensive performance from Milwaukee. And to an extent, you just do have to take what they give you. But... I mean, I think the Celtics can do it, and I think Tatum can do it. He has been unbelievable as a lead superstar wing for several months now. And so I agree with you. I mean, I don't know if he would be, like, the guy again, but I do trust them to recover. It's just a matter of not being rattled by the pressure because, yeah. like, I, I can see that impacting Tatum. Well, and you did see it in that first game, I thought. Yeah. I thought as the game wore on, it just uh... – it felt like the Bucks' physicality was getting to the Celtics' mm-hmm. offense. It felt like they were just... 
I, it was a very different feel than the Nets series where the Celtics felt like they could kind of bully them around. And you're not yeah. going to do that with Milwaukee. Right. Uh, Milwaukee's a super physical team. And I thought it, it wore on them. Like I said, uh, when you see guys like um, like Jalen Brown, uh, they, they set him a screen on one of the possessions late in the game um, on the left wing. Uh, he gets a screen. Bobby Portis hedges. And he slides off of Grant Williams, who's wide open in the corner. There's a five-second window where you know we can kick that ball over. But... It's just like I don't know. It's like Brown and Tatum were kind of clouded, and like again, mm-hmm. man, it just this is just mistakes that you just don't normally see out of the Boston offense. It's why it's so uncharacteristic, and why I expect Boston to recover so heavily. Yeah, this game got a hand out, uh, got out of hand in the fourth quarter, but I don't like they were getting open looks for most of this game, and I just cannot see this team shooting as poorly. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I also agree with you, Carson. I think I'm still going to stick with with no Middleton. I still think I'm going to go Boston in six or seven. Uh, right yeah. now, I'm probably leaning seven, just because I think that I think this is going to be a dog fight. But I- I'm still rocking yeah. with Boston. I think they're the better team. I agree. I mean, again, it, it's really tough not to be super impressed by how well Milwaukee defended. Mm-hmm. But like, so much of it is, you know, great helping, right? Packing the paint, and I mean, they were really good individually on the perimeter too. But it's just you take fifty threes in a game. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's an indicator of, I think, getting quality opportunities because they're not bad looks Mm -hmm. from three, obviously. I mean, you read the wide open numbers. It's just you got to make a few more of those. So uh, this to me would require incredible team defense throughout the series for Milwaukee. Absolutely superhuman Giannis, not just as a scorer, but as a playmaker and really good collective shooting from their supporting Mm -hmm. cast. And probably also a pretty damn good offensive Drew Holiday series. So they can do that. Yeah. 100%. But it's a lot. I think it's a lot to overcome without Middleton. But again, now they're at the point where you only have to win three of the next six. So, like, they've made their task a little bit easier. But I would still take the Celtics. I think I'd probably go seven now, though, honestly, just because, I mean, now you have to obviously overcome the fact that you've given up a game of home court advantage and all that. And, you're facing a deficit. So I thought this was a really impressive game for Milwaukee. Uh, with Middleton, I do feel kind of – I feel like they would be the best team out east. And, I mean, obviously they were both of our pick to get out before the playoffs. I think the Celtics have made a run for that title, but I think I would still t- take the Bucks with Middleton. But they have to actually get out of this series to have that again. But if they do, and if Middleton comes back for the Eastern Conference Finals, I think they're wiping the floor with whoever they face. That's that's interesting. I think I would, I think I'd probably agree. And yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to paint this. I, I don't want to paint myself into a corner here. I think that, um, I think that you're right about Milwaukee. They aren't difficult factors. I just think it's a lot tougher without Chris Middleton. Like this is, yeah, Giannis is arguably the best player on the planet right now. Yes, and I I can definitely see them beating Boston, but I just think Boston's more well rounded. I think they've got a better team defense still, even after the showing uh-huh. that we saw from Milwaukee tonight. Yeah, and. Again, I, I think that they have the two best, I don't know, I, two best shot makers in this series. Like, I think I would mm-hmm. take JB and JT over uh, Holiday. Like, I would yeah. want Giannis, but Giannis is not giving me a tough bucket from deep. So, yeah, I, it's it's not going to be easy for Boston. It's not going to be very – I can see this series going either way, but I'm going to rock with Boston. It's interesting to me that you say that you think Milwaukee wipes – whoever they play in the ECF. Well, maybe that's excessive. I think they would be a strong favorite. I think so, too. I think I'd take them against uh, Miami or Philly, but I think they're going to be good series either way. Yeah, it would be kind of tough for me to see those going seven, I guess is what I would Mm -hmm. say. It just feels like 
the Heat and the Sixers have such obvious holes. And it was a really impressive performance from Milwaukee without Middleton even out there. What do you think about Giannis's performance and how the Celtics approached him and how he handled that? Um, I thought Giannis did a good job of moving the ball around and uh, playmaking. I mean, Giannis is just a hard guy to stop. I think you just yeah. have to throw more... Like, it sucks because Giannis is the best defensive collapser in the game today. He creates more open threes for his teammates than anybody else. And that's why it always is such an uphill battle in a series against Giannis. It's mm-hmm. bread and butter. It's easy. It's how the Bucks play offense. They create open threes. I think you got to sell out even more. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if that's giving open looks to shooters, so be it. They didn't have an exceptional shooting game uh, in game one. Drew shot the ball well, which is uncharacteristic in my opinion. Like, I'm selling out even more pressure to the paint, and I'm making the guys around Giannis kill me without Middleton out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to live with that. If the guys shoot me to death, so be it, because you're going to get those open threes on the other end, and you need to trust yourself to hit those shots. But yeah. I am not letting Giannis kill me. That's how I do it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the right approach. And we actually, I think, saw some pretty impressive one-on-one defensive possessions from a lot of the Celtics guys, and I think that, you know, they are obviously impressively equipped to handle Giannis because they just have multiple good options. I mean, I think Horford is a really good one. I mm-hmm. think Robert Williams is a good one in spots. And they put the wings on him sometimes. I think that he had an easier time there just because he can physically overpower those guys, obviously. But, you know, I think that Horford did a really good yeah. job. I still agree, though. I mean, obviously, you got to help aggressively and whatnot. This is an interesting balance, though, because you have Giannis take 25 shots, which is obviously a huge number, and simultaneously really impose his will as a playmaker. So it's just like his presence was certainly felt, and I don't know you know, if he has a slightly better finishing day, and it's not that they're easy finishes, but you know, if he just makes a few more of those in traffic and all of a sudden he's 12 of 25 with the 12 assists, then it's like, boy, that's a monster, monster Giannis game. But I thought they did a pretty good job overall. We'll see. I think that... That is obviously the challenge and the primary emphasis of this series. And it is a tough balance because Milwaukee shooting is really good alongside him. And, like, I just don't believe in any of these guys outside of Holiday creating for themselves one-on-one. But, obviously, you need to stop Giannis above all else. So, I think they did a good job of mixing up some of the matchups and the looks that he got. And I do think that they're really well-equipped personnel-wise. So, overall, I would say... Solid job in game one from Boston. Any other thoughts on this series in game one before we talk about the other game that we saw yesterday? No, I said we move on. Okay. Let's talk about Warriors Grizz then. The Warriors went out, took game one by one point. It was dramatic. It was controversial. Draymond Green was ejected. Klay Thompson missed a couple of big free throws late. Mm -hmm. It was wild all around. But Logan, what were your thoughts and takeaways? Uh, I sold uh, to our nerd sesh audience. Mm. Uh, I came on. I, I, I didn't think this was going to be a competitive series. I thought that uh, Golden State was kind of going to run away with this thing. Not for the reasons that I expected, though. Um, the one big difference is, Carson, you pointed out on the show, and I should have listened to you, uh, the size difference is real. And yeah. like the having nobody to defend Ja, like the only guy that I wanted on Ja. I thought I thought GP did a really good job. Like I thought he did a phenomenal job, yeah. even down to that final possession uh, when he was stuck on him and Clay came and helped. Because mm-hmm. um, it was a little DHO where they gave you know they gave Josh space. It's the shot you want, and I still still thought GP did a good job of getting back and defending that shot along with Clay on help side. But yeah, 
Golden State does not have anybody to defend Jaw outside of GP. And, you know, I mean, like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, guys had solid possessions. I thought Clay had some decent possessions on Jaw. I thought Otto Porter Jr., when he was switched on to him, had some decent possessions on Jaw. But it's like, they weren't stopping him. He was getting to the mm-hmm. racket will. They did let him shoot a little bit more, which I think is the right play. Yeah. You know, they gave him a little space behind screens to get shots off. He goes 4 of 11 from deep. I think that's the good one. But, again, it's like... When Job wants to get to the cup, he's getting to the rack, and there's not really anything that you're going to do about it. Yeah. Uh, Grizzlies are also in this game because Jaron Jackson Jr. has a massive game. Yeah. One of the best games I've seen from him all series. I don't think you can expect that to continue. Six of nine from deep, 10 of 18 in the field, goes for 33 points. Like, I just think that's freaky. I just don't think it's something that's going to be consistent the rest of this series. Yeah. Where I thought that Memphis was going to dominate, um, and where they didn't dominate, was the rebounding battle. Like, I thought on the offensive glass, we might see the uh, Golden State kind of get bullied, kind of get beaten up the way Minnesota was. And there's a different, I don't know, there's a different intensity. I thought Minnesota played really hard most of this series, but in crunch situations, in the fourth quarter, in late game scenarios, Minnesota did not sell out on the glass. That was not an issue with Golden State in this game. Wiggins was busting his ass all game long, crashing the boards, as was GP, as was everybody on this team was hustling to get their Otto Porter Jr., like a lot of clutch rebounds in this game that I thought kept Golden State in it in the fourth quarter. If they were missing shots, uh, Clay missed a couple. Clay had obviously that big off the dribble three to give them the win, to give them the lead. Um, missed a couple big games. I mean, missed a couple big games. Missed a couple big shots here late, but they were selling out. And I thought uh, Wiggins had two big ones late in this game that gave them uh, you know extra possessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Steph clinging that three. Clay clinging it off the dribble three, and uh, Wiggins gets both of them to get another possession for Golden State, and I thought that was massive. So, um, Warriors had 12 offensive rebounds in this game, which again, or 16 total, excuse me. They had 12, like, midway through the fourth. I mean, and I thought that was the biggest thing that I thought from Golden State. I thought they were going to get killed on the glass. I thought that that was going to be the downfall of this team. If Golden State can do this on the glass every night, they needed a big Jordan Poole game here, too. I think they can compete, and I think that Golden State will win this series. I also just think that I thought we saw Memphis's offense was a little less uh, consistent, Carson. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? From the yeah. guys around Ja. And, like, again, Triple J is a big game, but if he doesn't, they're not in this game at all. So I just think that Golden State is still my pick in this series. I think it's going to be competitive every single night. I think we're in for a really good series because in saying that I don't think you can expect a Triple J game like this every night, I don't think you can expect a big Jordan Poole game like this every night. Don't get me wrong. Poole's amazing. I don't know if we can expect 30 points from him every game. He's been solid throughout these playoffs. He's been solid all season long. Um, he was unconscious in this game, though. So I think that I think we're in for a good series. I think we're in for a dogfight. But I think Golden State is going to play as hard as Memphis. And I think that's a distinct difference that we saw. Memphis hustles. They play hard. Minnesota did not have that heart to finish off games. And I didn't see that with Golden State, man. I saw a different kind of grit and intensity with this team. And I think that Golden State's going to do a lot better at finishing games off. Um, so yeah, I'm still rocking with Golden State cards, and I thought this was a really fun game. I'm really intrigued in this series. Jaw scares me, but I don't think he's going to do enough to kind of overcome. Uh, I just think Golden State has more offensive firepower, and mm-hmm. I think that's what uh, I'm going to lean on. And yeah. I, I think they're comparable defensively with Draymond healthy. So I think it's going to be a great series. I think we're in store for a good one, but I'm still rocking with Golden State. Yeah, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I would stick with dubs and six, though, which was my pre-series prediction. And I think that 
You can look at a lot of components of this game, and people will obviously talk about the officiating, which I do think was quite poor, and Draymond being ejected. And it's like if you can overcome that and still go out and win a game one on the road in which the other team shoots 40% from deep and makes 16 of them. Like, there were a lot of things that the Warriors successfully overcame in this game that I do think bode well. I will also say on the pool point, obviously – you can't pencil him in for 30 every night. Like, that's uh, lofty expectations. But I know he cooled down towards the end of the Denver series. At the same time, four out of the six games in these playoffs, he has had 27-plus on 60% shooting or better. Like, the man, as we talked about, since All-Star break, he's been playing at a star level offensively, and that's kind of one of the absolute keys to what this Warriors team can accomplish. So they're going to need him to be very good, but I don't think it's unreasonable to expect him to be very good. Overall... I think that this is an interesting series, but I just like think that it feels like the offensive creation is more reliable from the dubs. I agree with you. The battle on the boards is going to be a pivotal one. The Grizzlies were the best rebounding team in basketball this year by percentage. They were comfortably the best offensive rebounding team, and the dubs did have to scrap to go toe-to-toe, but they ended up toe-to-toe in that battle in this one, and so that's really impressive. You finally have a quiet Desmond Bain game after it feels like he was just unbelievable against the Timberwolves, and I think part of that is that it felt like the Warriors were more willing to make this a jaw go out there and beat us as a score, like resisting as much as possible, just collapsing, because it's obviously unbelievable what he does. I mean, he just, like you said, gets downhill at will, and then it's, you know, all right, find the shooter, because the shooter's out there somewhere. And he did still have the 10 assists in this game. He had a super pronounced impact, but he also had 34 points on 31 shots, and... The 11 threes, I think, is also very telling. Like, you will always, always mm-hmm. appreciate Jaw taking 11 threes if you're the other team. Obviously, he's a solid shooter, but, like, that's just a win every time. That's a possession that he's not exerting pressure on your defense, and it's just like, all right, one in three chance that he's going to knock it down. And he just hasn't been that efficient overall as a scorer throughout these playoffs so far. Like, he's had some labored nights. Even if he does get a step on guys, like, sometimes just a little bit of help will force him to try to make a really tough finish. So... I think if they handled him well, I think that they made it harder on guys like Bain to just feed off of, you know, attention that Jaw is getting. Got a quiet game from Brooks as well. And then Triple J, it's just, I don't know, man. Yeah, call me when that happens again because it's not going to because Triple J is just wildly, wildly inconsistent offensively. So overall, I think this is a really good win for the Dubs. I think this is an impressive win. I think you talk about the competitiveness of it, just the mental fortitude that you demonstrate losing one of your top guys and again going on the road in a hostile environment against a fired up team and now you've put yourself in driver's position for the rest of the series yeah and i mean i I just want to add i think that uh i think that obviously getting the win on the road is important as you said I thought the first, like the first start of the fourth quarter, like the first six minutes out there, I thought the bench unit did a good job of like extending the lead. Like they mm-hmm. got up to, uh, I want to say eight or like an eight or nine point lead at a point here in the fourth, and it was really impactful. Like Steph was not out there; it was Kuminga, it was Otto Porter Jr., um, you know, it was Clay, it was Jordan Poole, and it was GP. And I just thought, I don't know, I, I thought Memphis had a really big opportunity there with Steph off the floor to to make up ground, and they didn't let it happen. Jordan uh, Poole hits a deep three. Clay knocks down some catch-and-shoot attempts, and they were just hustling. So I thought that was that was a pivotal part of this game, too, and the bench unit did a great job 
hustling, playing defense, selling out on the glass, and making some big shots to to keep them at bay. Because if they don't, again, this is a one point game. Like mm-hmm. Clay is, you know, another clang three away from uh, the outcome of this being drastically different. So. Also, yeah, I put that completely on Clay for missing those two free throws. I, I genuinely, watching my TV, I cringed. Yeah. I, I just, I never in my life, I would I would put my life on Clay making one out of two yeah. free throws every time. And that's not op- hyperbolic. Like, Clay does not miss free throws like that. And so, honestly, kind of my only stain on this game um, was just Clay did not have a great game. He was just kind of off in general. Again, made yeah. two very big shots late in the fourth quarter, but. Uh, you can't do that from the line. You've got to put that game away. Uh, outside of that, and I do want to ask you as a Warriors fan, yeah, what did you think of the Draymond ejection? Do you think it was too far? Did you think that uh, he deserved to stay in the game? Like, what was your what were your thoughts on the foul? I'm anti ejection generally in playoff games. I think some people overreact in the wrong way because I think there's one angle that makes it look like the most egregious offense is him pulling on the jersey. And pulling him down. Who was it again? Was it Brandon Clark? Who did he hit? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. But then there's another where it's like, oh, he kind of just comes straight down on his face. And it looks a lot more egregious. So, I, I think it should have been a flagrant one. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should be ejected. I mean, I am generally largely in favor of refs staying out of basketball games as much as possible. Also hilarious that they just did a jump on that out of bounds call at the end yeah like, that's so wild I, <laughs> don't know. I thought it was i thought it was off dylan brooks i thought it was warriors basketball yeah i think that's what most people thought but you know again it's like you overcome stuff like that in a game like this and the freakish two missed free throws and all of that i think just bodes well what do you I, think about gp2 starting unless you have any more thoughts on the officiating no i thought um i think gp2 genuinely needs to be out there as much as yeah. possible like uh everybody else perimeter wise is pretty damn flat-footed. Like, well, compared I, to John Morant. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You need to preface with that. Yeah. I mean, down again, down to the final play. If that's Steph, if that's, I don't know. Like, I, I am so glad that GP was out there on that final play because, again, DHO, you get a backdoor screen, allows Ja to cut to the rack um, with ease. That's normally all the separation he needs. It was honestly really similar to the layup he hit over Vanderbilt to close out the series, you know? Um, that little stupid scoop layup over yeah. him, you know, just had that sliver of space. And if that's Steph, if that's not GP, I don't even know if he recovers that well to make that play. I think you need to be playing, not mirroring his minutes, you want Steph out there a bunch, but I want Gary Payton out there on the court to counteract uh, job. Because, again, I think he's the best perimeter defender. He was on your all-defense team. I think he's the best perimeter defender on this team, and I think you need a guy like him um, as much as possible in this situation. What about you? Does he need to play more? No, I think that this is good. I mean, I think 23 minutes in a start out of GP is pretty good. And I mean, obviously you see his impact as a grinder, right? He goes out, he gets four offensive boards, he gets a steal, he gets a block, and is just consistently impacting the game with his intensity and his defense, and he's efficient offensively. I love the guy. I think he's a damn good basketball player. Kaminga also a strong showing in this game. I, I completely agree. Also, I don't know how I could forget. I wrote this down in my notes when uh, about GP. Massive poster on Desmond Bain. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Filthy. Dude, yeah. I cannot believe for a second. Um, I just, I genuinely, I they told this story the other day on um, during one of the games about GP, like almost being a video coordinator for the Warriors. And I just That's cannot so imagine that he would ever, like he's just, 
Like, how do guys miss on him? He's got bounce. He genuinely, like, he's a solid cutter and attacker at the rack. Very good. He's a genius-level defender like his dad. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just don't ever get how this guy was not penciled into the league, and I'm so glad he is because he has a genuine chance to like to contribute to a championship-winning team here this yeah. season. I mean, my guess would probably be just that it's not like a traditional guard skill set that he has, really, you know? Like, he's obviously not a... Uh, super comfortable shooter like especially off the dribble like that's not his game but it's just like all right well he's a wing you know just he's a dynamic athletic insane competitive defender who cuts hard who's smart who makes the right decision also, yeah another big play from gp that late game cut uh where steph found him mm-hmm. wide open yeah just because gp was being aware and that's why his versatility too I'd, I'd put more minutes alongside him with Steph, too, because I'll just switch Steph. I'll let Steph play off ball, and I'll let GP take that matchup with Ja. But, yeah, I mean, I think that... I think Gary Payton is a top five, like, most important player for the dubs in this series. Um, Maybe. Certainly top six. I mean, do you I think might he's put more him important up, I might than... put him above Wiggins in terms of, of impact. Yeah, I guess... it. He is, I would argue, particularly important to this specific matchup. So, in that sense, maybe. But I don't know. He's not as good of a basketball player as Andrew Wiggins. And he's not going to have, obviously, the same offensive volume and output. So, we'll see. Very fun, though. I think that I feel good about my pre-series prediction in this one. I would stick with dubs and six. And it was a good start to the series and a very, very fun, exciting game. All right. Let's look ahead now. Because we have two series that tip off today. The first one is Sixers Heat. Joel Embiid will not be a part of the beginning of this series. He is certain to miss the first two games. He may return for games three and four, but that's with both an orbital fracture and a concussion. Uh, So I don't know. And that's already on top of the torn ligament in his thumb that he's been playing with. So that's a lot, man. That is a lot for Joel Embiid to overcome, and obviously the Sixers along with him. So, given that, what's your outlook on this series, and what are your expectations? I'm really conflicted, bro. Like, oh. I, I think I might go Heat in seven. I've seen some people saying, like, Heat in five because of the Embiid injury, and I think that... I don't hear the reason I'm conflicted, right? So Miami, I think, is more well equipped than anybody else in the league, and I still, even with this Boston defense, with what they did to Trey Young, I think Miami is the most well equipped and well prepared defense to X out individual guys, right? Uh-huh. I think with their versatility and switchability, that it's just it's easier for them to say we're going to take you out, and uh-huh. so I think whoever they want to key in on this series, if it's Tyrese Maxey or if it's James Harden, uh-huh. I think they're going to be able to effectively take them out, and I don't mean. I'd probably take out Harden just because I feel like you can limit Harden in other ways. Um, like I just think Maxie's a better pure scorer at this at this point in his career than James Harden is, and I think we've seen that concretely down in these in these playoffs and down the back half of the season. So without Embiid, it's like Philly definitely has the offensive firepower to go toe to toe, right? I don't want to just discredit having Toby, having Tyrese, having Harden, but it's a really uphill battle. Um, with Embiid out. And I know Embiid is you know projected to come back at some point in the series, but I think Miami is going to have their way with Philly these first two games. I mean, yeah. I just think it's going to be a struggle with them, uh, with Harden struggles from the field, with him shooting so poorly, with Embiid out, that I think Miami's defense is going to impose their will on Philly, and I think they're going to take these first two games. When 
Embiid gets back, it's going to be really interesting. Even with Miami's offensive struggles, because I've been super skeptical of Miami all season long with how poor Hero has played in the start of these playoffs, how inconsistent their offense was throughout the regular season. I trusted enough to get through uh, a team that's lacking their best player in Joel Embiid. And so I'm going to take Miami in seven. I think when Embiid gets back, I think this is really interesting. Maybe Miami in six. But this defense just looked too dominant against Trey Young, and I think they're going to do a lot of similar stuff to James Harden in these first couple games. And I think interesting. I think they're going to really slow down this Philly offense. Um, Jimmy, I do think needs to play like a madman again. I think we need MVP level Jimmy. I think we need mm-hmm. you know twenty five seven and seven or something close to every single night. Hero needs to pull his weight. Uh, but I believe in this Miami Heat defense to to keep Philly at bay without Joel Embiid. And so for that reason, um, I'm taking Miami officially in seven I would go heat in six and I do think that the fully healthy sixers are better but I don't know if MB does come back for three or four obviously you've already missed a chunk of the series there but we'll see if he could be 100% as well I am somewhat skeptical and I just think overall the burden on James Harden is just too great given the level that we have actually seen him play at as of late and I think I held out hope with Harden probably more than most. And even as the performance was lacking a bit, I, I don't know, believe that there was maybe a ceiling that he could reach again at peak motivation and whatnot. But it's just been a large sample size, man. I mean, since he came to Philly, he's under 21 a game on 40% from the field, sub 34% from deep, and has just straight up struggled as a shot maker. He is not getting downhill easily. Uh, He has not been particularly dynamic from beyond the arc. He he hasn't really even tried to assert himself as a scorer in most situations. I mean, he's taking 13 and a half shots a game since he got to Philly. So when you talk about the Trey Young coverage, I think that's interesting because Miami was so aggressive in applying pressure to Trey and, you know, willing to send help and try to trap him and whatnot and do all these things. And I feel like this is something that actually Jason – Uh, and I have talked about on Hoops Tonight, which you mentioned earlier. James Harden wants to be a facilitator at this point. You're playing into his hand if you're you're shifting off of guys. Exactly. So, you know, single cover him. I mean, take still your best guy. I mean, probably put Jimmy on him, I would say, a majority of the time. And they have multiple options, obviously. I think P.J. Tucker can guard James Harden. I think that you could, you know, maybe put Lowry on him for some sequences. But... Well, that's why, and that's why I'm not scared of him. And like, even in terms of when they're setting screens and switching guys off, yeah, anybody can hop onto James Harden. I'm not really afraid of the matchup. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and that's a major problem for Philly because they need somebody to be that lead assertive offensive presence who is making the machine go. Because it's like, can, sorry, can Tyrese Maxey be that guy? I don't think he's there as a complete offensive player like I think as a pure scorer obviously the guy can be electric but it's just it's a lot to ask him to sustain that level too like he was really really good obviously against the Raptors but I don't know if you can ask him to continue to play at that level Toby was extremely efficient in that series and then it's just like it's such a devastating blow obviously losing a top five player on the planet is a devastating blow but it just takes away such a dominant presence who not only is so exceptional scoring individually but who just demands so much attention of a defense and now it's just like yeah you have three really good offensive players still but 
I mean, Toby's really limited as a playmaker. Harden is struggling to score the basketball right now, and they need him to be super assertive and kind of just dominant there. And I'm not sure that he has the tools to do it. And then Maxi is really good overall, but I don't know that you would say he's even like a true star-level offensive player yet. And then the rest of the supporting cast is just guys who are meant to fill pretty specific roles. So I'm very concerned for them. I think that Embiid would be singularly dominant enough for me to take them if he were out there, even with Harden looking meh at best as of late. But I don't know, man. I think it's too much on James Harden. I think he would have to be like in attack mode the entire time. Like if he's not putting up 25 plus and 10, I don't think Philly wins this series. And obviously doing so with decent efficiency. And we haven't seen him kick into that gear a damn near all season. So I don't know. It just seems like too much. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Well said. Like, I just don't think, I don't think Harden's got it in him anymore. And damn, am I calling this crack a wash live on the pod? I don't want to say that, man. Like, he's certainly he just, not peak James Harden. I, we, yeah, we just have not seen that Harden that we have desperately wanted for so long and it's just it's ratcheted up you know I said even before the playoffs I thought that to win the title Philly was going to need take over hard mm-hmm. now without Embiid you need him and yeah I don't think we can expect him to show up and yeah Miami could definitely like that's the reason that I think Philly can steal a couple games I mean it's completely within the realm of possibility that Miami goes ice cold uh just shooting Lowry again has not had a great season hero has had a slow start to these playoffs there's a way Philly steals a couple of these games Mm -hmm. even without Embiid because I do think the offensive firepower is comparable but again without Joel Embiid you just don't have the guy that is just going to make this thing go that is going to open up the floor for everybody else because I still think Bam Adebayo is a great defender you're still sending help at Joel Embiid even with Bam in the post Mm -hmm. opening things up for other people yeah you're losing something defensively. You're losing your chief rim protector, you know, a guy that makes your defense go too. So it's like all of these competing factors, and Bede's not going to be at 100% throughout this series. I think it just points to Miami winning. And, I, again, I've been so skeptical of Miami. I'm almost pissed now that I went back on my original prediction of them going to the finals because I think it's a real possibility. Like yeah. Miami-Boston ECF would just be so much fun, so gritty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of want to see it, but... Even with Miami's shortcomings, I think because of Embiid missing a couple of these games, yeah, I think it puts the ball in Miami's court, and I think it plays right into their hands. I think that against a defense like this, I think it's a real possibility Harden has an even more significantly like bad historic series. I see that on very the horizon. Possible. It's very possible, and it's I think very possible that his efficiency just takes a hit if he does try to assert himself more because he's not you know, creating particularly great looks right now. And it has been interesting because it was like, Last year when he went to Brooklyn, obviously, there was a big decrease in his scoring output. The guy went from scoring 34 a game to under 25 a game. But, like, his efficiency was elite, and it just felt like it was so obvious that it's like, yes, this is very much a deliberate decision by him to lean on the playmaking and to make that the priority, but we know that he can go just kill or take over scorer mode when he needs to. And this year it just hasn't felt that way. I mean, it's just, like damn near career lows across the board. I mean, I'm trying to look. So he's shooting easily his worst from the field since his rookie year, worst from two since his rookie year. These are regular season numbers, but, you know, it hasn't exactly gotten better in the playoffs. Worst ever from deep, you know, getting to the line less than a vast majority of his seasons. But even that, it's like he's hugely dependent on getting to the line for his offensive production. So 
I'm just too concerned about that. And I think the Heat, although there are issues with their half-court offense, and although I don't feel like they're a true title contender at this point, I think that they're good enough defensively. They have enough options offensively. Their shooting's good enough to where it's like against this version of the Sixers, Mm -hmm. I think they are a bit better, like a a solid bit. You know, I don't think they're going to overwhelm the Embiid-less Sixers or the Sixers who have Embiid for a couple games, but I definitely feel confident picking them. Agreed. All right. Shall we move on? Yes, sir. All right. Let's talk about the last series then. Suns-Mavs will be tipping off tonight. What are your thoughts, Logan? I've seen some lunatics uh, on basketball media pick the Mavs in seven. I think that's ambitious. I'm gonna. I think it's a good series. I'm gonna take Suns in six. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how healthy D Book is gonna be. He did not look great in that last Pelicans game, but I don't think it matters. He's gonna be out here for this series. That's what's important. And so, I don't know, man. I just think I think the Mavs are just at a talent deficit and. I hate that. I just think it catches up to them here. Um, you're not going to be able to create the wealth of three-point opportunities that, and again, this is what the Mavs offense thrives off of, is creating those perimeter looks. And I just don't think that they're going to be able to create those looks at will the way they did against Utah against Phoenix. Um, again, Luka's going to impose his will on the game. I don't really think you can defend him. I think he's going to kill out of the mid-range. I think Aiden is going to be kind of food in that regard. I think that, you know... Dallas has a wealth of creators of their own as well. You know, I like Dinwiddie. I like Jalen Brunson. But at the end of the day, it's just like, uh, I just don't trust the role players as much. I, mm-hmm. I, the Mavs are just a little off from being real contenders, and they need that second guy. And once they get him, I'm going to believe in the Mavs to maybe make a finals run or, you know, go deep in the playoffs or do something big. Just this, the way their roster is currently constructed, I just don't see it happening. I just think they are at a severe talent deficit here against Phoenix. If... Devin Booker's 80%. If Devin Booker's 85%, mm-hmm. I can see Suns in five or Suns in six. Like, um, I, they're just a more well-rounded team. I hate copping yeah. out like that. I just think the Suns are just flat out better. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, the way the Mavs are constructed, they can get hot from behind the arc. They can steal a game or two. They're not winning this series if everybody stays healthy. So I yeah. would take Suns in five or Suns in six. I'm going to go Suns in six. Yeah, I'm going to go Suns and six as well. Suns and five to me feels like a bit much. I mean, I do think that the overwhelming firepower of Luka, the Mavs collective shooting, their team defense, the secondary creation that we have seen, like when Brunson and Dinwiddie are on, you know, this is a really good Mavs team, but I do still feel like the Suns are just an absolute machine. And yeah, I think that you know, some guys need to step up and play better than they did against the Pels. It was a brutal shooting series from Jay Crowder. It was a really bad campaign series. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like their most important guys were so impressive. We've raved about how great Bridges was on both ends. Aiden was able to step up and produce at a different level offensively. CP, when he needed to be, was unbelievable as an assertive scoring presence. And now you add Book back into the fold, and it's just like... There's better. They just have more really high-quality players at the end of the day who complement each other exceptionally well, who play both ends exceptionally well. They have easily two of the three best players in the series, probably definitely four of the six best players in the series. I mean, you can throw Jalen Brunson into that top tier, but four of the six, and I would say three of the top four, I just think Bridges deserves to be in that tier with his two-way impact. So... There's a lot of things working in their favor, I would say. Really, the only path 
to the Mavs making this uh, like winnable series to where we're going down to it in Game 7 or whatever, or they come out on top, is unbelievable Luka. Like, Clippers level last year, but he's also making his free throws. Really good team shooting. I mean, probably a really good Dinwiddie series because I think that Brunson you can count on. He's not going to drop 28 a game again, but Dinwiddie is much more volatile, I think, because, I don't know, it's just... He's so unreliable as a jump shooter, but when it's falling, it's pretty darn good. And then, like, probably still, I don't know, Book being a little bit off. Like, again, it just feels like they just have a lot more boxes to check, whereas it's like for the Suns, if things just go according to plan, if CP just leads the ship and Book just makes normal Book shots and all the role guys play both ends and take advantage of their opportunities and score efficiently and the things that you expect them to do, that they're just better. And I don't think there's a matchup thing that Dallas can really exploit here. Like, I don't think that they're playing Aiden off the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Bridges is as well equipped to try and guard Luka one-on-one as just about anybody. And I think it's a really good team defense overall. And so it's just tough for me to find, like, the significant strength for the Mavs, except for the fact that they have the best player in this series. But that's just not enough, I don't think. Yeah, and a couple of points that you touched on earlier, too. I just don't really think we can expect this kind of performance from Jay and campaign, too. Uh-huh. Like, I talk about cringing when Clay missed those two free throws. I kind of like I, – I, <laughs> I tighten up when I see Jay Crowder shoot a, shoot a yeah, three. Yeah, but he's going to shoot 60% from three in this series because it's what he does. He's the most volatile shooter of all time, and he ends up just being mediocre. Yeah, I mean, Jay either as a shooter. Yeah, it's so weird when you watch Jay, man. He's if he's going to make the first one, he's likely to make the first six, and then if he misses the first one, he's likely to not hit a three until yeah. the fourth quarter. Um, I can't like Jay's a spotty shooter. I cannot imagine him shooting eleven point five percent again from behind the arc. I can't imagine campaign being this useless. I mean that like campaign is a really really good backup point guard. It, yeah, there are not many guys I take over from his ease. You know, to get into the lane, to get to the rack to put up his floater, to play his role, to knock down catch and shoot threes. Cam's a damn good bench point guard, and mm-hmm. he played like ass in that first series, and I can't imagine it. And So, yeah, I mean, I just this just seems like such an uphill battle for Dallas. I am intrigued to see the Aiden matchup. I think if there is going to be one, it would be him, you know, versus a Kleba, versus a Bertans, whoever you want to throw out there to space the floor. I think that would be the matchup that i go out to exploit, but it's like... Mm-hmm. It, the distinct difference is just Utah was just at such a lack of perimeter, you know, yes. good perimeter defenders. Phoenix, on the other hand, has tremendous ones to where mm-hmm. they're at least going to slide and cut off that initial yeah. one and make the offense work for it a little more, or you're just not going to be able to blow by them and create those opportunities as easily. And again, that's Dallas's bread and butter. It's a Luka floater, a Luka shot at the rim, a Luka step back, or Luka getting downhill, defense collapses, and they find that shot. And I just think it's going to be a little more labored this series. Yeah. So, yeah, for all those reasons, again... I really think for Dallas to win this or to make it seven, make it interesting, is D-Book has to be criminally off. Like, D-Book has to play some of the worst basketball that we've ever seen from him, and I don't expect that either. I think that – I just think Phoenix is – Phoenix better, sadly. Mm-hmm. Phoenix better. And, yeah, I think Phoenix is going to roll and head to the Western Con- or head to the Western Conference Finals like they deserve. What series are you most excited for overall? Grizzlies-Warriors, mm-hmm. just because I think that maybe – uh, probably Grizzlies dubs. I think that's going to be the most tightly contested one. Um, 
And I, there's so much star power there, so much to want to watch. Mm-hmm. Jordan Poole, Steph, John ja Morant, it's just electric all the time. You got Draymond's hot-headedness. What about you as a Dubs fan? Or is that the one you're most looking forward to? Yeah. I do think Celtics-Bucks is fun. It's a bummer that Middleton isn't out there, but to me at full strength, those would be the two best teams in the East. May still be the two best teams in the East. In fact, I would say they are because, I, so I mean, too. the Sixers can't be in that conversation without Embiid out there. And the Heat, I just think, again, we've talked about half-court offensively. They just have more issues than anybody else. I don't think that their best player compares to anybody else's best player out of those four teams. So, yeah, those would be the two. I do think Suns Mavs is going to be really interesting. It's tough for me to be particularly excited for Heat Sixers without Joel Embiid out there. But we'll see how Philly copes, and we'll see if they can try to make it work. Any final thoughts here as we wrap up, Logan? Get your popcorn ready. It's going to be a good round of basketball. Get your freaking popcorn ready, you freaks and geeks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you all. We will be back on Thursday. Not going to do Friday this week because uh, we no longer have a set time in studio in terms of live radio. And also, there are no games on Thursday. So that is an excellent opportunity to check in. So we'll have more basketball to talk about then. Looking forward to everything that we see until that time. If you enjoyed today's show, the good news is there's plenty more content from us always. You can follow us on TikTok at NerdSesh. That's kind of our bread and butter these days. You can also check us out on Instagram. Same handle. Twitter and Twitch are both at nerd underscore sesh. We live stream there when we do these shows. You can check out our website, nerdsesh.com. Find us on YouTube. NerdSesh is also what you're looking for there thought about teasing something that we're going to be starting up, but I've decided I won't until we actually have anything there to tease, but know that there's going to be something and it's going to be silly and it's going to be funny and it's going to make you giggle. So there you have it. And you can also find the pod wherever, Spotify, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. So with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerdsack. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.